right, let's get started. Do you ever, if you're like me, do you ever wonder why in this awesome Christian life, filled with faith, filled with supernatural power, filled with God's abundance, filled with God's provision, filled with God's blessing, that your life isn't perfect? That even though we believe in these biblical promises and they're true, that somehow we go through seasons and periods of struggle, that no matter what we try, it doesn't seem to work. No matter how many times I come to church or I do a good thing, that, man, I just can't get over the hump. That my life always seems to be just a little bit of a struggle that I'm not able to walk in all of God's promises. I'm just trying to figure out today. Do you ever think these things? Do you ever think, I know I serve a supernatural God, but there's nothing in my life that's supernatural. We all go through periods like this. And then we build up our faith. We build up our hope. And we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And things are starting to happen. And we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and, we, and we're, we're excited about it. And then the longer we stare at that, that so-called light, it gets closer and closer. And it's really just more anxiety and stress and worry. And that light at the end of the tunnel is really just a freight train of life coming our way that we can't handle. And sometimes we think to ourselves, man, I, I just don't know how much more I can take. I'm starting to run on fumes. I just feel like from day to day, I'm running on empty. We all go through seasons like that in our life, or periods. And the title of my message this morning is Running on Empty. And before you get too excited about that, because you're thinking, boy, that doesn't sound very good. I know I'm running on empty. Why do I want this, why do I want this guy telling me about it? Here's why I'm going to tell you about it. Because I believe those moments in your life where you feel like you're running on empty can be some of the most pivotal moments in your entire life. And it can change the direction of your entire life. Hey, listen. Anybody can be a good Christian when everything's going your way, right? When I have everything going my way, I'm a great Christian. When things are starting to feel like I'm running on empty, that's when I need the help. And even though I carry the title pastor in front of my name, and so does pastor guy, that doesn't preclude anybody, it doesn't preclude us from periods in our life when we feel like we're running on empty. But I believe if we, if we understand these moments and we stand on the promises and the power of God, it can be a wonderful thing in our lives because God has answers to all of our problems. He can turn our questions into solutions. He can turn our brokenness into wholeness, our emptiness into fulfillment. That's the type of God he is. That's who he is. 
He's actually incapable of doing it any other way. Like I said earlier, his eyes are always focused on us. More specifically, his eyes are always focused on you. You know, for kids and for parents in this place, you know when your kids are like misbehaving, you always kind of like look at them, you're like, hey, I got you. <laughs> you know, I know what you're doing. That's what Jesus does to us all the time, right? He's up there saying, I got you. I, I see you. I see you. I got you. There's a wonderful story in the book of 2 Kings. And I have three points for you this morning. Running on empty. What to do when we are running on empty. And I've got three points. I'm going to share a little bit out of three different Bible stories to kind of prove my point with three different people. Because, man, this book, it's filled with stories of real people and real situations. And they, all these three stories were, were situations where these people in this story were running on empty, and God met them right where he needed to. And there's an awesome story in the book of 2 Kings. And it's about a woman who seemingly had nothing. She had just lost her husband. She has no husband, no job, no income, no hope, nothing. She seemingly has nothing. And I think we can have lots of empathy for this woman because there are times in life when we feel like we have nothing. And we feel like God isn't there. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer. We ne and we never will. These are the tricks that our mind plays. But it's interesting in this story, and we'll get to the text in a minute. It's interesting in the story what the prophet Elisha says to this lady. He doesn't say, hey, let's make a list of all the things you're going to need, and we'll pray for them. He doesn't say, let's call all of your best friends and see if they can help. He doesn't say, let's make a list of all of the churches in the area and see if they can support you. Those are all good things. But what he does say is he says, tell me what you have. See, we all have something, even though we don't think we do. We go through life, and many times, especially when we're running on empty, and we think we have nothing. But how many times do you think God has really supplied you with nothing. How many times in the history of the world do you think God has really supplied his creation with nothing? Hey, we sang a song this morning. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. And you might be running on empty right now, but I would be willing to bet that all of us in here can, can point to some point in our life and say, at that point, God was faithful. But what does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches that he is a never-changing God. So if he was faithful then, 
He will be faithful now. Let's go to the text. And this is a story, again, about this lady. She feels like she has nothing. But let me tell you, there is something about nothing that moves God. There is just something about nothing that moves God. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slave. So there's the problem. She's saying, my husband is dead. They're going to take my sons. I have nothing. I have no hope. Things are so bleak. Why should I go on? I'm running on empty. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Again, he's saying, and I'm going to submit to you this morning that this is what God is saying to us all the time when, we're, when we feel like we're running on empty. What do you have in your house? What have I given you? What are the skills that I've blessed you with? And here's what she says. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And how many times do we say that? Say, I've got nothing but this. God's never met me in my time of despair, but this one time. God has never blessed me with anything but this small thing. We say this in our life sometimes. I could serve God, but. I could have faith, but. Many times we're in these situations, the things that we fill in the blank after the but are what's important. Many times when we fill those phrases, the things that we're going to say after the but is how God is going to show up. And we easily dismiss it as, yeah, I could do that, but. Yeah, that could possibly happen. I could have faith for that, but. In this lady's case, she had nothing. Nothing but a jar of oil. Verse 3. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. This little jar of oil, she says, the, the prophet says, go, go gather all the vessels. And when you gather all the vessels, bring them back home, take them into a room, and shut the door. Why shut the door? Why be alone? Because God meets us when we're alone. 
So she takes that one jar of oil that she has and the vessel that she's accumulated, and she pours the oil into vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel. God was meeting her need. Her problem was personal. So she has to get alone with God because God is going to meet her in a personal way. Verse 5. So she went in from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live on the rest. God, God not only meets that need right then and there, he meets the need in the present, and he also meets her need in the future. The money she's going to gather from that oil will set her up for the rest of her life. No different than when God meets us when we are in the pit of despair, when we're at a low point. That encounter with him is going to meet our need now, and it's going to carry on for the rest of our lives. And what's interesting, that little jar of oil, the oil, our jar of oil never ran out. God's blessing never ran out. The jar of oil was probably still full. I don't know. But it only stopped filling up the vessels when there were no more vessels to full, fill. God is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time. That's why we have to be an open vessel to receive his word, to receive his love, to receive his grace. That's where the power comes. Amen? And many times, running on empty, that feeling of brokenness can be a turning point in our life. Number two, get with God. Be alone with God. It, it's great that you come to church. Listen to me carefully. It's great that you come to church, but that's not being alone with God. It's great that you serve and volunteer and you're part of the church, but that's not being alone with God. It, it's great that you're a heck of a nice guy, but that's not getting alone with God. It, it's awesome that you, you brought your Bible to church this morning, but that's not getting alone with God. Having an encounter with God is about Spending time with him on a regular basis. And I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, oh, great, here we go again. The pastor's answer to everything is always just get alone with God, develop your personal relationship, and everybody, everything takes care of itself. Every church I go to, every pastor I hear speaks says, just get alone with God, develop this personal relationship, and you will be fine. Can somebody please give me some practical advice that can actually help me, right? Well, let me tell you. You may think like I'm this spiritual guy. 
because I carry the title pastor. And I'm not saying I'm not spiritual. I am. But, but what I will tell you is I am about the most practical person you will ever meet. You can ask my wife. Like somebody will say, hey, what, what's, your, what's your spiritual gift? You know what my spiritual gift is? Common sense. <laughs> Common sense is my spiritual gift. I know somebody, you laugh and you think it's funny. I'm not, I, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. As a matter of fact, like, I mean, not you group of people, you guys have it, but for the rest of the world, if they, a little dose of common sense, what I'm telling you what, I'm, it, it would solve a lot of our problems. So, I mean, I say that because unfortunately, when we're running on empty, getting alone with God is the answer. Focusing our eyes on him is the answer. You, and I know you come to church and you want some super spiritual insight. But this is the answer. Get with God. He's the one that created you. He knows you. I mean, we, so many times in this world, we think too much. We're trying to overthink everything. I was in a meeting the other day, and the lady, one of the ladies in the meeting, her, her coffee mug said, you know, instead of let me think about it, her, her coffee mug said, let me overthink about it. Now, how many times does that happen in our lives? right? We, we, run, we have some sort of issue. We're running on empty. We have a problem. We go to God and we say, boy, show me the, show me the Hebrew meaning and the Greek meaning and, the, and get my concordance out. That's all great, but I, I got to tell you, when you're running on empty, that stuff right now, it's not important. It's not important right now. You need to receive from God. You need to lock your eyes on God as his eyes are locked on you. And we do this a lot, right? It, you know, if you look at, you know, uh, your prayer time in the morning, the morning's always, most people, that's when they spend time with God, that's when a long time, but how many times do we let the world creep in? We get up in the morning and say, yeah, boy, you know what, I'll, I'm going to hit that snooze button, I'll pray later. You know what, I got a busy day. I might just get up and start working. I'll pray later. You know what, I was, boy, I, I didn't catch up on the news last night. I better watch the news this morning. I'll pray later. I forgot to make my coffee this morning. I'll, I better go get that done, and then I'll, I'll pray later. I got to get up and cut the grass. I got to work out. I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm going to get to work early. I'll pray later. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But let me, let me maybe say it in this context. When you got all stressed out at 2 o'clock because whatever happened that turned your world upside down that was really trivial, you think you got so stressed out if you'd have prayed that in the morning? When you all were all worried about whatever was going on at lunchtime, you think you'd have been so worried if you had spent time alone with God in the morning? Now I'm preaching to myself, don't... Right? I, I'm no different than anybody else. If I had a bad day at work, or maybe I snapped at, at somebody, don't you think I'd have been less likely to have that attitude if I would have spent time with my creator? 
When we spend time with God, it changes things. When my wife is mean to me, I'm always like, did you spend time with God this morning? <laughs> that never happens. But here's what I'll say about alone time with God. God will go to the extreme to meet with you alone. When we feel like we're running on empty, it's probably for a reason that God has orchestrated that emotion so that we can get to the point where we're ready to meet with him. In Genesis 32 is the story of Jacob. And the story of Jacob wrestling with God. To me, this is one of the most mysterious stories of the Bible. But I believe Jacob's a biblical hero to us in this way that his, his life showcases the power and grace of God's ability to change and renew a person through an encounter with him. You know, Jacob in his early life, he stole his brother's birthright. He was into trickery. He was a manipulator. He was, he was a deceiver. And the story carries on when he's going back to Canaan with his family. And he understands that Esau, his brother, wants to meet with them. He's already, Esau's already threatened to kill him once, so he's probably thinking, hey, he wants to meet up with me and kill me again, or try to kill me again. So Jacob sends his family and his possessions ahead of him because he's scared. He's anxious. He's fearful. He's running on empty. So he sends his family ahead, and he's left alone. And what happens when we're left alone? We're in a position to have an encounter with Christ. Genesis 32. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, and this is Jacob saying this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's wrestling with this man. Jacob is alone. He's broken. He's running on empty. And what does he say? He's hanging on. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, we can't force God into anything, obviously. But how many times do you think it would benefit us if maybe that was some of the language we used to God? I am not going to let go until you bless me. I am not going to let go until you speak to me. See, many of us, when we, we hit these bumps in the road and we're running on empty, what do we do? We, we give up. 
We roll over. We just try to get to the next day. We become worriers. And day after day after day, we worry and worry and worry. And you know what Jacob does in this situation? Jacob doesn't worry. He turns himself into a warrior. And that's what we can be, right? We have to fight for these promises of the Bible. We have to fight in the sense of we have to get our eyes focused off of the world and focused on Jesus. We can learn these lessons from Jacob. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Jacob was finally honest. That's the other one. When we're broken, when we're alone, when we're empty, we have to come to the place of we're opening ourselves up to Christ and we are being honest. And he said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life preserved. Just as he crossed Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that, that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the, in the muscle that shrank. Jacob was literally marked by God. He had an encounter with God that changed his life forever, even physically. Marked. How many of us can say an encounter with Christ were marked and never be the same? His hip, he walked with limp for the rest of his life. We can have that same encounter with Christ to where something happens and we're so deeply marked and affected that it stays with us for the rest of his life, for the rest of our lives. Jacob was never going to forget that moment. It was always going to be top of mind. It was always going to be a reminder to Jacob that it was no longer about him, but it was about the God that he served. That's being marked by God. Number three, embrace the silence. Embrace the silence. And I say that, embrace silence, because what's a common thought that we all have when we're running on empty? Common thought we have when we're in a time of despair or anxiety, where is God? I still come to church, but God doesn't speak to me. I still see God working through other people, but he never works through me. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. Where's God? He knows I need him. Why isn't he showing up? He knows I'm on my last leg. Why is he not here? I pray and I don't hear anything. I struggle with no relief. I'm sick and I never get healed. 
Why does this happen? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. I'm desperate. And in these times, again, we have to understand, God is always focused on us. See, we may be desperate, but he is not. We may be scared, but he isn't. We may have fear, but he doesn't. We may be changing the way we think about things or changing whatever. He's a never-changing God. And you say, I understand all that. But you don't understand what I've been through. I'm at the end of my rope. You know what you do when you're at the end of your rope? You, you tie a knot and you hang on. You don't just worry and slip off to oblivion. You hang on and you're a warrior for your faith. You're a warrior for your life. You're a warrior for all of these promises that are in this book. John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. And this is a great example of God being silent. Lazarus is a guy who's one of the guys who's most closest to Jesus. His sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus loved them so, so much. And this is a great example that we have to understand how to operate in the silence. What sometimes we're running on empty, what we fail to understand is that Jesus is always working behind the scenes. He is always setting up the stage to have an encounter with you. Many times as Christians, and just as people in general, we, we run our lives based on emotion. If I don't feel God... He must not be here. If I don't feel like God is on my side, he must not be on my side. If I don't see God showing up, he must not be working on my behalf. God is always working on my behalf. I'll give you an example of how this works for most people. When we were worshiping this morning, when we were singing those powerful Worship songs to our king, my guess is for most of us, our emotions were pretty high. We felt God here. We were probably filled with faith. We felt like God was moving on our behalf because we were singing these worship songs. And you know, fast forward maybe to tomorrow at 9.30, and you're at work or taking care of your kids or doing whatever you're doing, you know what your emotion's going to be? Monday morning. Something's going to happen, and that feeling that you thought God was there is long gone. And now you're going to be like, man, I'm running on empty, and God's not working on my behalf. The same God that was working on your behalf when your emotions were high, when we were singing those encouraging, motivating, inspiring songs, is the same God 
that's working on your behalf at 9.30 tomorrow morning when you're doing whatever you're doing and you don't feel, feel spiritual and you don't feel God. He's looking at you in the same way with that same love, and that same supernatural power. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was so sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not until death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through this. Again, these are very, very special people to Jesus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that so when he heard that he was sick This is what Jesus said. Or Jesus his friend is sick. Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha are coming so you have to go see Lazarus. It sets up for a powerful moment, a powerful miracle. And to this point, it's been silent. And they go to God, and they go to Jesus, you have to come see him. Right? This is Jesus, the miracle-working man that can do all things, who's always there. The next phrase shows what Jesus does. You know what he does? The miracle worker, the way maker, the guy who can do anything in your life, can intervene in any moment. You know what he does? Nothing. He doesn't do anything. He stays there for two more days. Now, I think all of us know when we have a loved one who is sick and we need help, we need an encounter, we need healing, two days is an eternity. Is it not? He doesn't do anything. These people that he loves so much, which is the same for you and me. He loves us so much, but sometimes he doesn't do anything. And many times that's because he's looking for us to trust him. Can we trust him when we're running on empty? Can we trust him when things aren't going our way? Can we trust him? You fill in the blank. Can you trust him in that moment when you really need him to inter intervene? And I think one of the reasons why he asks us for trust is so that we can understand to be able to hear his voice and not the voice of others. Because again, it's that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with him. It's his voice. It's his voice that has to be in control of my life. We have lots of great voices in our lives, right? Like my wife has a influential voice in my life. 
only when I agree with her. No. <laughs> she has an influential voice in my life. But it will never supersede the voice of God for my life. See, I have to know what God is saying to me, for me. You have to know what God is saying to you, for you. If I get myself in a situation where my wife is saying, this is what God's telling you to do, or as much as I respect Pastor Guy and he has the ability to speak into my life, if I have Pastor Guy come to me, hey, I think this is what God is telling you to do, that's a slippery slope. I have to have the one-on-one relationship to where I can understand what God is telling me to do. And we have to build that relationship day after day after day. And what happens is we try it kind of half-heartedly. We, we pray to God, but then we kind of Tell him what we want him to say to us. Usually, what you are thinking and what God actually tells you are two different things. Deuteronomy 31.8, and he is the Lord. He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor dismay. Emptiness can be a gift from God. Let's end with going to the rest of the story of Lazarus. Because I believe the ending of this story and the way Jesus intervenes is a place where many of us are in our lives right now. Verse 17. So when Jesus came... So Jesus Jesus finally goes. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Let me tell you, he's been in for four days, that dude's dead. He ain't coming back. I mean, that's not like a mistake. It wasn't like the doctor was wrong. It was like, that dude is dead. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the brother. Now, Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times do we find ourselves in situations and that's the conversation we have with God? Lord, if you would have just intervened, I wouldn't be in this situation. Lord, if you had just spoken to me, I wouldn't have this happening. Into verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, and she says the same thing, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Again, they probably weren't trusting in the son. Verse 38. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a, 
It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Now, Jesus is just getting ready to raise a man from the dead who had been dead for four days. Don't you think he could have easily removed the stone? But he told them to remove the stone. Here's the point, and please don't miss this. Every act, every supernatural act that Jesus is wanting and will work in your life is going to take a step of obedience first before it happens. There is always, always a step of obedience before that supernatural work can happen. It's the same we talked about as well. It's the same like your prayer time in the morning. Your prayer time in the morning, or whenever you have, a bit say it's happening in the morning, right? That, that has the opportunity to be a supernatural encounter. But there has to be a simple act of obedience of just merely setting aside the time with Jesus. There always has to be that step of obedience. Verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Lazarus, come forth. I believe in this place this morning, that's a call out that Jesus is calling us out right now. Lazarus, come forth. Fill in your name. Jesus is telling me this morning, Mike, Come forth. For all of us. There's dreams inside of you that Jesus wants to bring them out. There's visions you've had in your life. There's things that you've thought about that Jesus wants to bring them out. It could be 20 years ago, 40 years ago, things that God had called you to do, or a dream God had put in your heart. But life just happens. It happens to the best of us. You started running on empty, but we serve a God that if he was faithful then, He's going to be faithful now. And if he's faithful now, guess what? He's going to be faithful tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But we have to understand, when things aren't perfect, he's still there. When we don't feel him there, he's still there. 
when we're looking at the things of the world, his eyes are still fixed on us. That will never change. There's never anything that you're going to do to get outside the love of Christ. There's never going to be anything that you'll ever do that God's going to be looking at you and he's going to get distracted and look away. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Because that's who he is and that's what he means and what you mean to him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we work.